All right, Romans 16, a community of ministry companions. And you can follow along if you'd like to with the outline there on the prayer list. And we will try to finish these names up tonight and then have our missionary guest next Wednesday. We spent a good bit of time last week talking about Phoebe and her role in the church. She was a servant. She was a giver. She was to be received in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. And so Paul was encouraging the people uh, there in Rome to welcome her and receive her and be faithful back to her as she has been faithful in serving and helping and giving. And he is uh, mentioning her in verse number two as a succorer. I know that's an older English word, but it just refers to a compassionate helper, one who is sacrificial and giving. And she has been a blessing to Paul and to others in the church, and he is saying be a blessing uh, back to her in return. She is one, along with the women mentioned down in verse number 12, Tryphena, Trifosa, and Persis. I know those are not common female names that we use uh, in our culture today. I don't know of any Tryphenas, Trifosas, or Perses, um, but uh, those are women who labored much in the Lord, and they were all used of God as women, though women are not called to preach, though that is not their role in the leadership of the church. Again, I know that's a controversial topic. I know that that has been in the news even recently, but we still see an important role for women in the church, and we are thankful for uh, the women in our church who serve so faithfully in so many different ways, and uh, though they are uh, not in a uh, preaching or a pastoral or deacon role in the church, uh, we see just like Phoebe in Tryphena, Tryphosa, and Persis, we see the blessing of uh, our wives, of mothers, of women in the church serving faithfully in so many different ways. We talked about Epinatus, first fruits of Achaia to Christ, speaking of him being uh, among the first to be saved in the ministry to Asia. Achaia being there in Turkey. And then Mary, also another woman mentioned in verse number 6, who labored much uh, for us, like, again, Tryphena, Tryphosa, and Persis. And then we finished up with Andronicus and Junia. Most likely a husband-wife, because Junia is many times even used as a female name. I mentioned last week that Emily had a friend for many years uh, they've kind of uh, lost touch uh, with each other recently, but we did find her again on, uh, I think, Facebook or something, and, and uh, she is, uh, Junia is her name, and uh, she is the daughter of an Air Force chaplain. They, they are out west, uh, so that is one uh, young lady that I, I remember, and I remember her name being Junia, and it comes right here from Romans 16. So probably a husband and wife team, faithful in the church, Love the Lord, like Priscilla and Aquila, servants in the church. Priscilla and Aquila hosted the church at Corinth, um, and then also were involved in the church at Rome. Andronicus and Junia were even fellow prisoners of Paul. So at some point, they were serving with Paul, sharing the gospel. Maybe Andronicus had some sort of preaching ministry, we're not sure, but they were alongside Paul in his evangelistic missionary, in his 
pastoral and preaching ministry and in standing up for what is right and preaching the truth and being bold for Christ, they were thrown in prison along with Paul. And we see them even as fellow prisoners, fellow sufferers for the name of Christ. They were referred to as my kinsmen, likely a tribal connection, probably being from the tribe of Benjamin, possibly even a relative of Paul. They were of note among the apostles. This is referring to the fact that they were distinguished, they were honored by the apostles. They were known among the apostles as faithful servants of the Lord, as a married couple willing to even go to prison to suffer for Christ alongside Paul. They were known among the apostles as a husband and wife team, as leaders in the church, as faithful servants in the church. And again, I think of so many here at Berean and throughout our uh, growing up years. I know Kelly and I have looked up to many couples and we're thankful for uh, couples who have been faithful in the church. There was a Facebook post of my fourth and sixth grade teacher who is, I, I forget what, he just, he just had his birthday. Mr. Moore just had his birthday. He was probably 81, 82 years of age. Faithful servants of the Lord. And uh, Mr. Moore uh, was such a help to me in fourth grade and in sixth grade. And then I was his boss as principal of the school. And he was teaching, and it was one of the strangest things for me, having looked up to him for all those years, and then I was his boss. I was the principal of the school, and he was one of our teachers. And then he retired, and uh, we had to ask him to retire. And it was just at that point where he knew, and we knew it was time that he stepped down from teaching, and Pastor Arrowwood and I, we set up the meeting, and we went down to Pastor Arrowwood's office that afternoon, and I said, Pastor Arrowwood, I said, you're going to have to do the talking. I said, this is really hard for me to be able to tell Mr. Moore that we believe it's time, it's best for him to step away from teaching, and he knew it, and we knew it, and I had to sit there, and I had to look at someone I had looked up to for many years, and uh, to this day, I still admire Mr. Moore and his faithfulness and his love for the Lord. Uh, he uh, battled through COVID twice, was in the hospital twice with bad rounds of COVID. And uh, he did our morning care, 5 o'clock every morning. He showed up at the early care, walked the gym, and prayed for the church. Prayed for me, prayed for our, our family. And I'd come in, and he'd greet me, and he'd go on his way. And finally, he had to give that up. But even though early care didn't start until like 6 or 6.30, he was there at 5 o'clock in the morning. Sometimes he'd even set off the alarm <laughs> at the church. But just couples like that that just stand out as people who are faithful servants. And we have them right here, right here at Berean. And we're thankful for those Andronicus and Junias, the Priscilla's and Aquila's, and the example that they are. He even mentions them as coming to Christ before him and having, again, served in the ministry and having been faithful in the church, and then welcoming Paul and helping and assisting him, and even, again, going to prison with him. And then we see Amplius. Again, these names I'm struggling with as far as what the exact pronunciation is. Amplius is simply mentioned as Paul's beloved in the Lord, verse number 8. So, again, a special friendship, a special bond, and aren't we thankful for those special bonds, those special friends that we have in Christ, who we've served with, who we have been in the ministry with, that we have 
uh, partnered with and been fellow laborers with in the church, and no doubt Paul had a special bond with Amplius. And then Urbanus. Now, isn't there in Ur- Urbana, Illinois? Is there in Urbana, Illinois? Okay. I don't know if that has any connection to Urbanus, um, but Urbanus, verse number nine, he's mentioned as, or Urbane, um, our helper in Christ. And then uh, Stachus, or Statius, verse number nine, my beloved. So we see again a fellow worker and another special friend that Paul mentions in, verses, in verse 9. And then down to verse 10. Apelles, approved in Christ. Salute Apelles, approved in Christ. Salute them which are of Aristobulus' household. But let's pause for a moment and talk about Apelles. All we see there is that he is recognized or mentioned with this phrase, approved in Christ. The same word is used in 2 Timothy 2, in verse number 15. 2 Timothy 2, in verse number 15, a verse that we should be familiar with and possibly even have memorized. 2 Timothy 2, in verse 15, study, or be diligent, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Same word, approved, same original word that's translated approved in 2 Timothy 2.15. That's also translated here in verse 10 of Romans 16. And it has to do with approved through testing. Tested and found faithful. Tested and having passed the test. With a solid A. Isn't that a great feeling? You have that tough test. You have that exam. You have that project. You put all that time into it. You study. You don't wait till the last minute. You pay attention in class. You take good notes. You have all those. You have all that effort put in. And it's a tough test. It's one of those professors. It's one of those classes. One of those projects that it's just a challenge. We've all probably had classes like that, and we know what it's like to get that A, to get that good grade, and to be able to pass the test and to get the approval. And that's the idea here with this Apelles. Some sort of challenge, some sort of test in his life. He had maybe had some type of specific suffering or tribulation, trial, that Paul used that word, dokimos, approved. And it has to do with having had a trial, a tribulation, some sort of suffering, and yet been found faithful, having come through that in such a way that Apelles honored the Lord. He had a testimony through that trial, through that suffering, through that tribulation, through that challenge. He had a Testimony that brought honor and glory to Christ. And it stood out to Paul, and he used that phrase, approved in Christ. And then we see Aristobulus in Narcissus. Now, verse 10, second half of verse 10, salute them which are of Aristobulus's, and then you see household. Verse 11, salute Herodian, my kinsman, greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. So in the Lord, obviously in Christ, believers, 
But notice household. I couldn't help but think as I see our Stibulus and Narcissus in the mention of a household of believers. And I couldn't help but think of, in the Old Testament, Rahab, who a whole household was saved. Rahab, having brought the spies in by faith, protected them, and the spies told her, as she expressed her faith in the one true God, the God of Israel, they told her if she had that scarlet cord, and anybody that would be in the house when they came to Jericho and marched around and the walls came down, only Rahab and those who were in her house were saved that day. And that scarlet cord was hanging out that window and it symbolized her faith and obviously it, it symbolized and foreshadowed the blood of Christ that saved her from her sin and those in her house who were there with her who also came in faith believing Can you imagine Rahab as a prostitute having expressed faith in the one true God and then then evangelizing in Jericho and saying, come with me to my house, believe like me, and we will be spared from this judgment. And there were others along with Rahab who were saved and spared from the judgment there in Jericho and came to Christ uh, that day in her household. What about Cornelius, Acts chapter 10? Those who were there in Cornelius' household who came to Christ. And we see one of the times where there was the visible manifestation of the baptism of the Holy Spirit by the sign gift of tongues. And that's not the point of tonight's Bible study, but one of those four occasions where God showed in a visible Sign through the gift of tongues. We know the gift of tongues is not for today. We talked about the temporary gift of tongues. We spent a good bit of time on that in Sunday school. But Cornelius and his household. Here's a man who was a religious man, but he hadn't come to true saving faith. He was a Gentile. Peter was struggling when that vision came that night. And there was that blanket with all those unclean foods. Now, we get a blanket with all those meats on it, and a lot of us are saying, yummy. We're thinking, this is a nice pork chop dinner and all those good meats. And Peter's saying, not so, Lord. I've never eaten of these foods, these meats. And what was God telling Peter? He was using that as a symbol. He was not just saying, eat the meat, okay? But he was not, he was not only saying the ceremonial law is done, Christ has fulfilled all righteousness, okay? All those ceremonies, all those symbols pointing to Christ who has fulfilled those, but he was also saying what? The Gentiles are a part of the church. Go and share the gospel, witness to them. They are called out people. And Peter obeyed the Lord and Cornelius got saved in his household. What about the Philippian jailer? As he thought he was going to have to die that night because... Paul and Silas, as they were in prison, they were singing those hymns to the Lord, singing out at midnight, and the earthquake and the prison doors opened, and the Philippian jailer thought he was going to die because if the prisoners escaped, what happened to the prison guard? He was going to have to go. And the Philippian jailer cried out, knowing his life was on the line. He probably wouldn't live 
to see the next day. He said, what must I do to be saved? And what did Paul answer with? Do the seven sacraments, the five pillars, work real hard and hopefully the scales will tip into your favor. Is that what he said? He said, believe, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. If all of your house, like you as the jailer, if all of you come in faith, believing, turning from your sin and turning to Christ in saving faith, all of you will be saved. And a household of believers there in Philippi that started a church that later what would Paul say about those Philippians? You're my joy and you're my crown. He wrote a letter of joy. All four chapters of Philippians, you see the expression of Paul's joy for those Philippian believers. A household got saved. Philippian jailer. Think about the households that have been saved because of one man or one woman's faith who sought their family, who sought a husband or a wife, sought their children, their grandchildren, and then sought to not only share the gospel and raise their children up in, in, in the gospel and going to church and hearing the words of the Lord and being under the teaching and preaching of God's word, but living that out in their home, sharing that with their family and their extended family, and then by God's grace, seeing many in that family getting saved. And some of you are thinking right now of some people, maybe a grandma or a grandpa, maybe an aunt or an uncle, a mom or a dad, who was instrumental, who God used. They got saved and they got on fire for God, or they were a stalwart of faith, of faithfulness. And they have now maybe two or three generations or more that have been influenced by their life. A household of believers, Aristobulus and Narcissus. And we're thankful for the influence of those who God uses to reach even their own house, their own family, and there becomes a household of believers. Herodian, verse 11, verse 11, he refers to him as my kinsman, again, likely a relative or just from the tribe of Benjamin, and by the fact that his name is Herodian, it seems to imply that he was a relative of Herod. Now, Herod was a title... There was Herod the Great, Herod Antipas, Herod Agrippa. The Herod family tree is not a very good family tree. In some cases, the family tree doesn't split, if you know what I mean. It's bad. If you go in and you do a little study on the line of Herod, some wicked people. One of them, I keep getting them mixed up, Herod Antipas was the one who his daughter would have been, I get, I get it mixed up, but the daughter, stepdaughter, I believe it was, came and danced sensually, and Herod said, whatever you want, I'll give you, and she asked for whose head? The head of John the Baptist. These are brutal, nasty, vile people. What does that say about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Understanding that Herodian, by his name, was probably of the family of Herod, what does that say about Herodian's testimony? He got saved. He got transformed. Such were some of you. And Herodian is now a trophy of grace, a saint, 
saved out of one of the most wicked households of that day. We already looked briefly at Tryphena, Trephosa, and Persis. They labored, labored much in the Lord. These ladies, along with Mary and Phoebe, were women who were faithful servants, givers, and they worked hard. And again, I mentioned last week, I'll say it again, sometimes, ladies, you put us men to shame because some men are lazy. And it is one of the vices that afflicts men sometimes. And sometimes we can be big whiners and babies. And sadly, there are more and more men who are lazy bums. They don't do, as my dad would say, they don't do diddly squat around the house. (laughs) They don't do anything around the house. They are lazy. And they don't, they just expect to come home, sit in a lazy boy, and for their wife to wait on them hand and foot. And uh, I just, I, I struggle with that. I just, my dad wasn't that way. Uh, I wasn't raised that way. And if I came home when Kelly was home with the, all four kids and I said, bring me my newspaper, bring me my dinner, bring me my remote control, she'd say, <laughs> I'm not bringing them to you and you can find somewhere else <laughs> to sit yourself down after dealing with four kids all day. The last thing she wanted me to do was to come home and just sit around and do nothing and watch my TV or whatever. Shame on us men when we're lazy, and especially when we're lazy in the church. Isn't it sad when we see that the moms bring the kids to church and are more faithful and serving than the dads? When the dads should be setting the tone in the home? When the dads should be the example as the leader in the household, as the head of the home? Shouldn't the dad be the one who sets the standard, who raises the standard high and shows that this family, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord? And uh, I know that's a little bit of a rabbit trail there, but again, we are thankful for the testimony of these women who will meet one day in heaven. And then Rufus, verse 13, uh, we spent some time a little bit talking about Rufus when we talked about Simon of Cyrene, likely uh, son of Simon. So Rufus was likely the son of Simon of Cyrene, Mark 15, verse 21, who carried the cross of Christ. And notice in verse 13, he is chosen in the Lord. Chosen in the Lord, okay? So in one sense, it's a reference to the fact that he was chosen by Christ for salvation, okay? I'm not here to get into Calvinism and Arminianism, but he was chosen. We love him because he first loved us. But we lay right down beside that truth, the railroad tracks, side by side, parallel together, the responsibility, the will that had to choose to repent of one's sin and believe in Christ. Repentance and faith. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. With the heart, man believeth, but the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the Lord shall be saved. We can go to John 1 and verse number 12 and talk about, But as many as receive him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So chosen in the Lord, yes, but right beside that he had to repent and come to Christ in faith. But let's go a little further. Okay, We're laying those truths down side by side. We know that they are 
truths that the Bible teaches, and we can argue all day long. It's one of the top five things. It's probably in the top two of the theological discussions that I have as a pastor, or with even practical applications. There's five, I'm not going to go over all, I, won't, I don't have time. There's five main things as a pastor that I deal with, with almost every prospect, with almost every family, with almost every person who has any interest in church at all. I have five areas that I almost always get into conversation with, and one of them is Calvinism, Arminianism. And uh, it's just one of those things that is it's constantly a, an area of, of concern and discussion, and uh, I'm not here to get into all that. But let's go a little further with this. This word chosen here, it's more than just referring to the fact that he was saved, chosen by Christ, that he repented and in faith believed, but it's also referring to his being distinguished. He had, in, in his testimony, in his life, in his service, he was distinguished. We're not sure exactly what Rufus was distinguished for, but he stood out to Paul. Something about Rufus that was exceptional. Don't know what area of service or what particularly he did, but Rufus was a distinguished believer for something that Paul wanted to recognize him for, for his faithfulness and for how he had stood out. In one case, it was his family, his mom, who had assisted him. Rufus's mother, which would have been Simon of Cyrene's wife, who was a special helper to Paul. He mentions his mother and mine. So she was of motherly influence, apparently, to Paul. Uh, however that was uh, played out, we're not exactly sure. But it just goes to show again that, that connection and that appreciation Paul had for Rufus and for Rufus's mother. So his mother was special to Paul. And then we close with this as we are out of time. We could go through these last several verses and we could see all of these different names. Timotheus, Tertius, Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, all who are referred to as either workfellow or kinsman. Tertius, a stenographer, verse 22, who wrote this epistle. Apparently he was used by Paul to actually pen this letter. Gaius, whose house church, apparently he was involved in that church there. It says there, uh, Gaius, mine host, and of the whole church. So apparently he was uh, the host even of the house church there in Centria, uh, which was the eastern port of Corinth. He was baptized by Paul, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 14. And then we see in verse 23, we see Erastus, chamberlain of the city, an official of the city, possibly the treasurer. And so we see a man who was of some political persuasion, who had some title in the city, who got saved. Do we not hope and pray that some of our politicians come to Christ, that all of them would get saved? We know desperately how badly we want our politicians to know Christ. Because right now there's a lot of politicians that seem to be under the spirit of the Antichrist, sadly. And we pray for our politicians to rule in the fear of the Lord, the knowledge of the holy, to come to saving faith in Christ. And apparently Erastus was one of those politicians who did get saved, and Paul recognizes him. And then Cordus, Cordus, a brother, who was also a recognized believer there from the Church of Rome. I don't know anybody named Cordus. We have in our church 
uh, somebody named Penny. Um, we're thankful for Penny. Uh, Bill has Bill has um, Bill has a uh, colonoscopy tomorrow. That's why they're not here. So we can be in prayer for for uh, for Bill. Uh, but uh, Cordis, uh, we don't know exactly what his role was in the church, but he was a brother in Christ. All right. That is the conclusion of this chapter. Next week we'll have our missionary guest, and then we'll continue in our study of characters from the Bible uh, the following week. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, thank you for our church family. Thank you, Lord, for uh, all the uh, of, our, of our members, of our regular attenders, of our uh, church family and extended church family, those in our sphere of ministry. We thank the Lord for each one. As we have so many companions in the ministry and Fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we thank the Lord for each one. As Paul recognizes these individuals, we understand that each of them had a life, a testimony. May, Lord, we have the kind of testimony of of these brothers and sisters in Christ that we will one day see in heaven, who were fellow workers, who labored much, who were distinguished, who were givers, servants. Uh, Lord, we pray that that we will be like Uh, these individuals, that each of us will serve you faithfully and be used of you in our church and wherever you call us, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pray that you have a great rest of the week. We look forward to seeing you on Sunday.